Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals, the podcast that allows every therapist, nail tech and stylist to level up, build their career and reach for their dreams. Each episode we'll be looking at a different area of the industry and along the way I'll be chatting with salon owners, industry leaders and experts who'll be sharing their stories on how they achieved their goals, made their successes, all to inspire you in your business and career. I'm Sue Davies, your host, award-winning salon owner and industry professional. Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals. Hi there and welcome to this week's episode of Inspiring Salon Professionals. When I started the podcast, uh, the intention behind it was to help people grow their careers and to build businesses within the salon industry. And so today we're going to look at something that we probably do subconsciously without realising. And I know when I started my salon many, many years ago, I hadn't really come across this phrase then, but I know looking back at how I worked out whether I was going to do it or not, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is what I covered and what I wrote out in my notebooks and so on. And this that we're going to talk about today is doing a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T, and it stands for your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And these are things that you really, really need to consider before you set up um, as a self-employed business owner. And whether that be as a mobile, as a home salon, as a commercial premises, um, as an academy, whatever it is that you're looking at doing within the salon industry or even in a wider business sense, it doesn't necessarily have to be salon industry. We all have different things that we tap into. But these are areas that we really, really need to look at so that we can check for the viability of the business that we're about to launch. So firstly, we're going to look at the strengths that you have within your skill set and within your capacity to build your business. And strengths come in a lot of different ways. And we're going to look at the things that are encouraging you to believe that you're ready to take this big step. And it is a a big step and it can be quite a scary step. But there must be something that's motivating you or is making you have the self-belief that you can do this. There'll be things that you know that you do that just kind of push the boundaries a little bit and that you know that you get feedback that you do well. And if you can do something well on a small level, then usually you can kind of expand that and grow it onto a bigger level. So the next thing to think about within the strengths is what sets you apart? What is it that you do differently? What is going to make you stand out from the salon down the street? Is it that you provide a particular type of treatment really well? Is it that you have customer service skills that perhaps others, the other salons don't have? Some a, a customer journey and a customer experience in your mind that is going to change how you are perceived within the client market. And what are your positive qualities, lastly? What is it that people come to you for? There is going to be something that makes your clients in the in the place where you're currently working, there's going to be something that makes your clients come to you. And if you're mobile and looking to expand into a home salon or a home salon looking to expand into a commercial premises, there's going to be something about the clients that already come to you and book onto your column that makes you stand out even within the team that you are possibly in or if you're in a home salon that makes you stand out amongst other local home salon owners there's going to be something that is a positive quality that you have that clients are attracted to and that's a really key thing is it's what is it that attracts people to you and going through the strengths it is going to be 
what you're doing well, what sets you apart and what are those positive attributes that make clients just come to you like a moth to light. On the opposite end of the scale, next in the list is weaknesses. So these are things that you really, really need to consider and look at before you take the leap. These are things that aren't necessarily going to stop you from having that bigger business or that next step up on your career ladder. But they are things that you need to consider. And it might be that, you know, you've got nearly all your ducks in a row, but there's those, that one thing that you're just not quite sure on. And I know when I opened my salon, I was my skill base was that of a holistic therapist and I was very, very passionate about all the holistic treatments that I offered. And I also was a nail technician and I used to do um, spray tanning and a few other bits and pieces as well. But I didn't have the full beauty package and I hadn't done um, a qualification in facials and I hadn't done a qualification in waxing. So for me, when I was doing my analysis and working out what I needed to do to make my business um, be able to hit the ground running was I wanted to make sure that even if I didn't really perform these treatments, I needed to know what they were, how they worked and be able to step in if any of the team weren't there. And so I made sure that any of those skill gaps that I had were plugged in the build up to me opening my salon. So think about um, what it is that you can improve and whether or not there's gaps. It may be that you need to just plug the gap of um, whether or not you've got the right business skills. You know, do you understand what bookkeeping is? For me, that wasn't really a, a problem because I've been running my husband's business with him since 1996. So by the time I opened my salon in 2011, I had a lot of years behind me of like basic bookkeeping and preparation of accounts. But for a lot of people going into business management and business ownership, that's something that really can let you down. And especially if maths isn't your big subject, and let's face it, a lot of people really can't stand figures and all of that accounting stuff. So just make sure, even if you know you're going to delegate that out to an outsourced person, just make sure you've got a little bit of an understanding. You know, when they're talking about profit and loss, they're talking about, you know, where you're spending your money and about capital assets and stuff like that. It's important that not necessarily that you understand it to the level of an accountant or even a bookkeeper but that you just kind of have a bit of a grasp because when your accountant says to you, oh, you know, I've run your profit and loss and, you know, this is your net profit, you need to understand what those words mean on a layman's terms. That's all you need to do, but just make sure that wherever you've got gaps and whatever it is an area that needs improvement, just do a little bit of study around it and just begin to get an understanding and a grasp of what it is you might need to know. Another weakness that can be is, do you have adequate resources? And resources are come in many, many forms and many different shapes and sizes. And resources can be people, it can be the money, it can be equipment, it can be um, just your knowledge. There's lots and lots of different things and a resource is anything that can be used within your business to benefit it and to make it grow and make it function. So just check, do you have the funding in place? Where is your funding coming from? Is it secure? Is it something that could disappear overnight? Where is the, all of that financial resource coming from? If you've got a team, how are you going to recruit them? How are you going to ensure that they're going to do a good job? Have you got your interview processes in place and your recruitment processes in place? There's so many different things that you need to look at when it comes to staffing and then resources of equipment and 
um, all the things that are going to make your business function. You know, there is more to having a, to having a salon than just having an owl desk at the front and a beauty couch in the back and a cupboard to put your stuff in. Resources come in things such as consumables in your inventory, then in your um, electrical equipment, you know, even down to have you got enough spoons to stir your, you know, a cup of tea you might be making your client? Do you need, a, you know, facilities for your staff? Do you need, um, like, kitchen facilities? Do you need kitchen equipment? You know, how, how are your staff going to eat their lunch? Where are they going to eat their lunch? And it's all of those different factors, those resources that you need to plan out. You don't want to move into your commercial premises and literally have massage couch and a few towels. That, you know, and I know that sounds really obvious and really silly, but I know from different places that I've been to over the years, you know, they function on like absolute bare minimum. And depending what kind of clientele you're going for, if you want to have that luxury feel, you need to have like resources around you that present that opulence and that luxury. So one of the other thing in weaknesses that we're going to look at, and each you'll, you'll gather, there's going to be three three points per um, area of the SWOT analysis. So look at what other people may do better than you. Have a look in a couple of mile radius of where you are going to be operating and take a selection of a, a fair few different um, salon businesses that operate on a similar level to where you think you're going to operate. But also do look at some that may be below how you want to operate and those that may be above how you want to operate. It's always good to know where, you, where you're going to fit into that market, what kind of clientele that you want to attract. And if you want to be super high end, you are going to have to be working at such a different level of customer journey, of the salon finish and all of those things that go into making that luxurious and opulent feeling premises. Whereas if you want to operate on a, you know, very much more, you know, stack them high, sell it cheap kind of um, business model, then, you know, all of that isn't necessarily so important because people are going to be looking at price and value and making sure that they're getting, you know, the cheapest possible price they can. And you cannot operate at high end opulent um, surroundings and materials and staffing when you are giving a bargain basement price it doesn't work that way so just look around and see who operates better than you and whether or not you need to match them outdo them or that you want to sit underneath that radar just have a look at the way that those business models work around in the area that you're in and remember that there's nothing wrong with being in the middle there's nothing wrong with being on the lower price end and there's nothing wrong with being on the higher price end. Every single town and area has room for all the different business models. And if you want to be, you know, the salon that if there's one salon charging £30 for something and one salon charging £50 for something, there really is nothing wrong with taking that middle line or being just a little bit below that upper one. But you've got to make sure within that, making sure of what people are doing better than you, that it relates to the business model that you are going to be looking at for your business and making sure that you address how you feel they are missing the game somehow and that you fill those gaps because there's always room clients will always always be looking for that something that fits their model as much as that you're looking to fit something for that client and we have to remember we we talk a lot about client avatars and ideal clients and target clients and we have to remember that 
we spend our time trying to talk to those people and they also have when you look at it the other way around they have a target salon a perfect salon a perfect um, hairdresser a perfect beauty therapist that they're looking for they are looking for us as much as we are looking for them so you need to have something that talks to those people and when they're scouring their facebook or their instagram or the local paper or they're walking down the high street there's got to be indicators that ping into their minds to say they do that better than the salon that's 10 doors down or they do that better than the salon that I went to in the next town. You have to do something that makes you be better than that other business that that client might be looking to leave. Next, we're going to move on to opportunities. And this is really like the prime area of why you are looking to expand your business or to take that leap and go into a commercial premises or into a home salon. There is somewhere that you've seen an opportunity that you think you can fill. So consider what your actual goals are. It's no good just saying, I want to open a salon. You need to have more of a why. You know, there always has to be a why. There's a great book by a guy called Simon Sinek called Start With The Why. And in that, it does talk about you have to have a why behind what you're doing. So what are your goals? You know, why do, why do you want to have a salon? Why do you want to have a home salon? Why do you want to go mobile? Why do you not want to be in employment any longer if you're wanting to start a business there has to be a why is it because you want to earn enough money that you can retire at 50 is it because you want to have that nice fancy car and you see salon ownership as a way of achieving that what is your why sit and write down just try and find what your goals are and why is you want to do this what you want that business to achieve what you want that business to say to the potential client base that you want to attract. So if you you know, one goal may be that you want to turn over £100,000 a year. And as an employee, that's, you know, that seems like a really high figure if you're earning um, £10, £11 an hour, £100,000 turnover a year seems massive. But in reality, that £100,000 turnover may still only equate to you earning £11 an hour because of the cost of business, you know, the cost of rent and rates and electric and gas and telephone bills and your broadband and all those other things that are your own costs, you've got to really map out and think about what your goals are. So if you want to earn the equivalent of like £50 an hour, you've got to work back from, you know, from that figure of what you want to turn over until you can get yourself into a place where you earn £50 an hour. But that's another whole episode of costings and that kind of stuff. Second in the opportunities um, category is our demands shifting. So what is it that you do? Is there a bigger requirement to have, say, um, I mean, I know, I know one of the factors that made me start my salon was that gel polish had been created um, back in about 2009. And I did my training, I think, later that year. And then over the following year, my client list developed so massively and I had a home salon at the time and I was probably working about 12 to 16 hours a week something like that I was very much part-time I had young kids back then and it suited me at that time to be that those kind of hours and then I did I started doing gel polish 
and I got busier and busier and busier. And, the, and consequently, the home salon became more of a burden to my household than, um, a, than a benefit. And it was getting to such a point that the demand for the service was outweighing my ability to be able to provide that where I was. So the demand is what really led me to take on my salon and my demand shifted hugely. And by the time I opened my salon, I was practically working full time at home. And that was becoming an issue for privacy for our um, family because the cabin I had was in my garden. And so during the summer months, there was a high number of what really were strangers coming in and out of our house. Um, and it just proved a little bit too much. And it was the last kind of nail in the coffin. We knew that I was getting busy. We knew I was becoming more and more successful. And we knew that we didn't want to lose that momentum. And so the next obvious thing for me to do was to take on a commercial premises. And so that's what we did. And that that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about is like where the demand is shifting. If you know that if you, you've got something right and you are making more and more money and that if you can just you know, literally get hold of that thing that's working and amplify it, you know that you can make this bigger and better. So that's where you see that opportunity. The last thing in opportunities is how could it be improved? Is there any way that your new goal and your new plan can be improved? Once you've kind of started working through all of the strengths and weaknesses and what opportunities you've got, is there an opportunity that you could improve upon where you think you are now? Because once you start down this road, you end up in a fairly fixed position. And so before you start getting into anything, is it that you need to build in a little bit more scope so that in two years time, once you've started achieving your dream, is there going to be space to expand slightly more and that kind of thing? Look about, is there any more opportunity to improve the plan you already have? there is always room for improvement in anything. And so just kind of think about, do you, you know, could you do with that extra room that for now you might use as like a storage facility um, and you could use it, you know, to store stock and that kind of stuff in. But is there somewhere in two years time you might be able to move that into um, an ounce? I mean, I used to quite often have, um, in fact, I had two outdoor sheds at my premises that as we grew, I bought sheds to put a lot of our stock and stuff into because it meant that I had more space in my salon and my salon was quite small and so space was an absolute premium for me and we we used lots and lots of clever techniques to be able to manipulate the space that I had and so we knew when we went into that space although it was small we had um, places that we could temporarily expand if we needed to so I had one room that we could use as multitude of different things and that's what you kind of need to look at is like just looking for where there's extra scope where there could be an improvement on um, space usage on resources usage all that kind of thing so that you ensure that you get the most out of your potential business plan that you have lastly we're going to come to the category of threats now this is really one of those things that Maybe something you don't really want to think about because you don't want to see the negatives, but you have to be eyes wide open when you're looking at taking on premises or you're looking at expanding. You need to understand what the risks are. And this is where the threat um, category comes in. 
You need to consider firstly the obstacles that you're facing and that can be so many different things. It could be that you've got resistance from family members or your partner um, or that you've got kids that you need to consider and are you going to still be able to do school runs if you make your business bigger that you may need to look at childcare. You may need to consider whether or not the financials um, are in place if you are taking out um, finance to begin this new business venture. You need to make sure that any obstacles are clear and present to you. You know, if you are going to take out finance, what's your credit score like? It may seem like a, a bit of a sort of silly thing to consider, but I mean, I know, I mean, believe me, I've been there and had like ridiculously awful credit scores and people knocking on my door and all that kind of stuff when I was younger. But that if that is something that plagues you currently, that could stand in the way of you being able to get a business bank account. It could stand in the way of you being accepted for a commercial lease. Anything where there's going to be a potential credit check, that credit score needs to be of a good to high standard. And so you need to make sure that if this is something that you want to think about in two years time, start planning now and doing all those things that you need to do to get your credit score in the place it needs to be. And that's like, it's quite a major thing for anybody that's going into business is just making sure that you are on top of your money and you are on top of your finances. And it's probably one of the biggest obstacles that we face is that we don't always estimate costs of things well. And so it's important to make sure that you pin down those figures as much as you possibly can. Don't just guess because guessing isn't going to necessarily get you to the place where you need to be. Make sure that if you you think that the building works are going to cost you a thousand pounds, make sure that it is that or less than. Don't rely on the fact that, you know, your brother-in-law's mate might do it and he said it'll be about a thousand. Just get, get them to write that down in a formal quotation, not an estimate, a formal quotation that you can go back to and say, no, this is what you quoted me for that job and that's what I'm paying. We have to be on top of these things to ensure that we don't let anything run away from us. So those obstacles can be anything. It can be financial, it can be resources, it can be location, logistics, it can be your family, it can be your husband, your partner, whoever is there or whatever is there in your life that's going to pop its head up and and give you a problem try and foresee whatever that can be and also think about like obstacles are quite often things that you can control and that you can put in a particular order in a particular way and it will work but there's always things that are out of your control for example the local council may bring in licensing this happened, I was about to expand um, back in 2015. I was about to expand and take on a much, much bigger premises. And it, I have to say, it didn't, it, this wasn't particularly what stopped me, but it was a real glitch in my works. And we were due to be um, completing in the April round Easter time. And it became known that the council area that I was moving into were bringing licensing in. And it was going to cost me an additional £2,000 um, on my costs to get our first year of licences. And that's something that, you know, it was beyond my control. I couldn't do anything about it. Um, so it was either suck it up. And again, it's one of those things like the financials. That's a massive obstacle. But it was something that came from um, 
the local council and it was beyond my control. I couldn't stop that from happening. I either had to deal with it or I couldn't take the premises on. As I say, in the end, it wasn't that that um, that made me not take that premises. It was the landlord, in actual fact, because he was um, a challenge is probably the best way to refer to him. And I decided that he'd made my life that difficult during the um, five months of negotiations up till that point that... Um, it was just it wasn't worth the what my while and you know I'm so glad I didn't take that premises on the um the gratitude I feel for for not stepping into that place is immense and um and the number of obstacles that got thrown in my path by that man led me to say no and it was the, probably one of my best ever business decisions to not grow my business. I mean, it always, it always seems quite backwards to be grateful that I didn't take the opportunity to grow my business. But I think it served me well in the end and was the best thing for me and for my family. So that's all good. Um, yeah, so factors out of your control. You can't ever do anything about them. But having contingency plans for if this happens, then I have that to cover me always will help lastly in the great chart of SWOT um, and under threats is what competition is there locally so do have a look around and I was saying earlier you know when you're looking for who does things better than you you need to go out there and look at your competition and I know when I had my harking on a lot today about when I had my salon but when I had my salon um, I did try to make sure that I knew the local salon owners and that not necessarily that I became best friends with them, but quite a few of my I knew from forums and stuff anyway. But I, I kind of always tried to be nice. And if I saw them at awards nights or if I saw them um, anywhere where there was a group of business people or whatever, always try and be nice to them and just try and build those relationships because it is really important. And you just never know when they may refer a client to you that they can't service and vice versa i quite often if we were too busy or it was a skill that we didn't have i would be able to suggest at least one or two places that i knew would be reliable and trustworthy and would deliver a a competent service to my client base and clients are always grateful when you can do that if you know if they've got something that like a last minute Um, event that's come up and you can't squeeze them in you know they'll always be grateful to you for you recommending somewhere that's like-minded and of a a similar kind of level of service to what they're used to with you so do check out the competition it's good as I say it's good to be on friendly terms with them don't see them as the enemy you know that's and I think that's a really really vital thing within our industry we tend to be a female-led industry we have a reputation and quite often a very backed up reputation of being very bitchy and very um, catty towards each other but I have to say I mean I've got some of my best friendships in this industry come from speaking to and spending time with other local professionals and I've got friendships that go back years with people that they may not have been right on my doorstep but they still were within driving distance of where I was operating from one of them you know we used to quite often um, swap um, clients when we were going on holiday and that kind of stuff if we knew that there were going to be gaps in where we could deliver a service I'd refer them on to one of my friends and and it's really really important to understand not necessarily every salon or every salon business in your locality but to have a few places where you know you are in the same mindset but of course that's not to say that you don't need to be aware 
of what they do in their business, how they do it, and how much they cost and all that kind of stuff. It's never good to to base your prices on somebody else's costs and prices ever because that's not how business should work. Yes, take a look at them because their pricing will give you a ballpark indicator of the type of salon they are. But beyond that, do not take for granted that their pricing, if they're charging 15, 20 pounds more for something that you charge 40 pounds for, just because they're charging 20 pounds more doesn't mean that they're better than you. It may mean that they've just got higher overheads. You know, they may have a premises in a a slightly more salubrious area that the rent is higher. Or that if someone's cheaper than you, it might be they've got cheaper overheads, you know. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a difference in service level, but be aware. And sometimes it's even worth, I mean, I know when I opened my salon for the first probably year, we we would get people coming to the salon. I mean, we had one lady, and I won't, I won't mention her name, but... Um, and I refer I refer to her salon as Jane Smith's salon, but she came into my salon and she um, and I knew who she was because I knew the salon. I'd lived in the area for a very very long time, and I knew the salon. And when she came in for her appointment, obviously I, she had an unusual name anyway, so I knew it was her, and that she was probably just coming to be a little bit nosy and check us out. And she walked in and she said, "Oh, my name is Jane Smith of Jane Smith's salon." You do know who I am, don't you? Whilst she put something in a handbag, myself and my um, other members of the team that was in with me that day, we just kind of gave each other a bit of a sort of like knowing look and, and we just carried on because she clearly needed to feel important and that's fine. You know, she was a very um, long serving member of the industry and, you know, she she worked her uh, boots off over the years and had a very well thought of business. But... and whether she thought she was going to intimidate me by coming in and doing that I'm not quite I'm not quite sure what the purpose was but she obviously needed to fluff her feathers in front of me and that was fine but do be aware when you do go into other people's premises and you do want to go and check them out consider how you do that and consider whether or not you want to declare yourself because it's a good way of meeting the salon owner just say you know I'm opening the salon a couple of miles down the road and I just thought I'd come and say hi you know can I have a treatment with you just I'm sure they'd be quite happy to do so you know for me whenever I've had another therapist come to my business and they stay as a client particularly when they stay as a client means we're doing a good job because that means that you know if they're coming back to us for a repeat service our customer experience is good enough that another therapist enjoys their time with us and for me it's always been a really positive experience but there are plenty of other ways to also check out your competition so do go through their instagram and go through their facebook look at their websites just look at how they walk their clients through and i'd really really recommend doing this and maybe not even looking at salons that are in your area Look at city centre salons and they usually are the ones that have got because they they cost a lot of money to operate. And so usually those salons that are like serious, like corporate world city centre salons are usually the ones they have a lot of investment put into them at the beginning. Quite often they're not owned by people within the industry um, or that are trained industry people and because they they cost fortunes and and it's an investment business. That's what it is. But look at how they do it because, and if you can take a leaf out of their books, they are so worth looking at. And they're not, you know, those salons aren't a threat to, you know, most salons that are in a local or a small town environment. Those kind of salons aren't looking for our customers. They're looking for 
the really serious high-end demographic of people that own multiple homes and have multiple diamonds on their hands of like many carat sizes you know they are looking for that kind of client that has got high high levels of disposable income and they work on a very very different level to us but it doesn't mean we can't learn from them so look at them don't view them as necessarily competition but look at them as a learning model and see just pick bits and pieces out of what it is that they do there is a reason that salons like these win a lot of awards and that's because they tick a lot of boxes especially in beauty and maybe even with hair as well in actual fact because I know clients of mine that have traveled into central London to have their hair cut by um, one of my clients had her hair cut by Charles Worthington and she used to go a really long way to do that because it and she only used to do it occasionally but it's to have that experience. And I know, I mean, I've been to um, Richard Ward Salon up in um, Sloan Square, and it is a different level of experience. But it's always worth going to these places because you just, you pick up new information. And they may be competition on one level because they're still providing the same services as you. And if people have got disposable income, someone local to you may still choose to go to them. But if you could give them like a local version of that, experience it may be that when they can't get into that central city environment that maybe you may be the the the, um, salon that they go to so look at those big places and see how they operate how they attract clients what they do to retain them because it's a really interesting different world that most of us do not live in and also another way of checking out um good quality salons is to look at some of the really big award schemes like professional beauty scratch stars and look at what the previous winners um, do that attracts people and do that wins them awards when I was um, when I had my salon as I was saying earlier um, and I went into scratch stars the first two years I the first year I went into it I came third the second year I went into it I came second and the third year I went into it I won and that's because I went and I checked out everybody that was in there and made sure that we would you know that we were escalating what I was what we were doing and making sure that we were operating at a higher level every year that we were just bumping it up slightly and that we listened to the feedback and we listened to what the judges said and we worked out how we could improve and how we could make it us better and eventually finally third time I third time lucky I won and it was like it was a really epic moment for me because it, I, I felt so validated but go back and check, you know, and I still, whenever I'm judging um, any of those awards, I do go and I, I like to just have a really, really good look around everything those finalists are doing. And if I know I'm judging, I'm going to be doing that before I get to the judging day because you want to kind of see how they operate. It's a bit like when there's a school and Ofsted, you know, each school knows that they're going to get an Ofsted visit. And if you're a salon that is um, in an award scheme and you're a finalist, then you're going to be operating a certain way at a certain time to try and make sure that you're that you hit your peak performance when you when you think it's necessary you know because like let's let's face it if you're savvy that's what you're going to do so it's just nice to kind of get a grip around some of these businesses and just see how they operate maybe when the sunlight isn't shining on them so much you know and just um just have a look at them so make sure you look at all of those salons around you locally nationally that those salons that are doing really really well and just see what you can incorporate of those threats effectively and see what fits in your business and if you can make yourself better if you can make an improvement 
on what it is that they do that you can incorporate into your business. This is what SWOT is all about. It's about going out there and researching and analysing your market and making sure that as you walk into it, you have your eyes wide open, you understand what you are doing, you know that you have got the skills, the ability, the finance, the resources behind you and that you can see any obstacles in your path and that you can see those threats and you know how to deal with them. Because if you haven't got that in place, you're walking blindly into something that could cost you everything if it doesn't work. So make sure that you have looked at your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities and your threats. And that way you should at least have half a chance of making this a success. And the rest of it's going to come down to your sheer resilience and determination to make it work. I think that's everything SWAT put to bed for now. Um, I'm sure it will probably come up in different things that we talk about over the coming season um, as we start talking about starting your business or growing your business, expanding your business, all of those kinds of things. But make sure whatever it is that you do, that you have thought through the process because without that analysis and research and planning, you won't be able to make a success and being prepared is so, so important. So I'll see you next time when we are going to be talking all about smart goals and how they can help you as you grow your business and as you run your business. We need to constantly assess what our goals are and doing it the smart way can make your life a whole lot easier. So I'll see you then. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Salon Professionals. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and share with fellow industry professionals that you think may enjoy the show. Links and further information can be found on the show notes or on my website, www.suedavies.org. Here you can also find some downloadable free guides that you may find of use. You can also hear from me and join the Inspiring Salon Professionals community on my Facebook group. Thanks again and see you next time. Bye for now.